1: welcome back it's time for mpb season pass on think radio with sam wells i'm jay white thanks so much for listening on this thursday morning man sam uh it's been really interesting this week man oh man it's time to get the football games so we can have something different to talk about <laughs> it's been a it's been a, a, yeah i don't know it's been a, a dis a disheartening week um if yeah. you're just a fan of sports in general, especially this the schools in Mississippi, um, you know, after all of this, you know, domestic well, not domestic violence stuff, but after all of this um, you know, the Jeffrey Simmons stuff, you know, we we had a guy on the Ole Miss football team that was arrested for domestic violence. You know, we've we've got uh Jeffrey Simmons uh court case uh finally finishes. Um and he's found guilty of, uh, I guess, it was a simple assault. Fine nine hundred dollars. Uh, Dak Prescott's DUI
2: situation wrapped up yesterday. Yeah, that, that was a bizarre, um, a bizarre read about that. And uh, that, uh, it almost seemed like maybe it shouldn't have even come to that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. It's, I'm not sure what all happens with that. I've never actually heard of a uh, of a DUI trial actually coming to a trial format like that and actually going. The way of the uh, of the defendant. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good on him if he uh, if he had all that evidence to back up his claim that he wasn't doing anything. So, you know, who uh, who knows? The courts have, se- have made their say with that. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, as you mentioned, he, he ultimately found not guilty. I don't know. Uh, maybe a a, a, a frivolous uh, young <laughs> law enforcement yeah. officer trying to make a name for himself i yeah. don't know I may, maybe <laughs> so I,
2: you know I, I don't know and you have a you have a a very progressive town and uh in starkville that uh has a lot of nightlife and a lot of stuff to do so i guess they maybe yeah. have their uh have their police force out looking for any and everything that that could come their way i know the uh, i know oxford police uh, do the same thing i would imagine they do the same on the coast and in hattiesburg and things like that so I, you know, I'm, I'm throwing my hands up here, Jay, cause I agree with you. Uh, I agree with you that we need some, uh, some football, some, some sports, uh, locally to Something discuss. Something fun. Uh, yeah. Something so I, fun. I, 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 you know, all we have right now, the SEC network, uh, Mississippi State took over the SEC network yesterday. Ole Miss is taking it over today. But after today, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> cause there's right. not going to be anything really to discuss. I know me and you are, are knee deep in the baseball with, uh, with the trade deadline coming up and, uh, and, you know, Watching things of uh, of that nature, but uh, man, a lot of stuff uh, uh, that is not fun to discuss is going on right now, especially with uh, with Mississippi State, which you you have the Simmons deal, you have Dak Prescott's DUI thing, and of course the tragedies that we'll talk about in a minute: Chris Smith uh, getting uh, murdered, and of course. Uh, CJ Sermone's who um uh, I was texting some buddies of mine yesterday who I went to college with and uh I've told folks on the show before I'm an old miss I went to Ole Miss, I'm an old Miss alum. I was texting them about CJ Sermon and asking them if they heard about it. And a lot of old Miss people were like, Who is CJ Sermon? And oh, I said no. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this is who CJ Sermon is and told them the, the 99 egg bowl story and they were like, "Oh, well that's why I don't remember." I've tried to block out every bit of that football game that I've that in, I could possibly his,
1: remember. In his time at Mississippi State, uh he was not uh overly productive. His career was largely forgettable statistically, but uh, as Sam as you mentioned, he's got uh, one feather in his cap. He has one of the most famous uh, catches in Egg Bowl history and, and one of the most famous or important receptions in Mississippi State football history.
2: Yeah for sure so it's a uh, it's horrible uh, you know what's going on um, Jay as you you hear about that it's two guys who graduated from Mississippi State it's two guys who you uh, I, I don't know what's going on with them, neither either one of them personally in Chris Smith or uh, C.J. Sermons and we can say a little bit about Chris Smith also Smith was a receiver on the uh, and, and played the last high school football game of his career live on Mississippi Public Broadcasting's television station against South Panola, and
1: that was a, a That's a legendary high school football when, game in the state of Mississippi when
2: uh, he and Tyler Russell and the South uh, and the uh, and the Meridian uh, Wildcats knocked off South Panola and broke the eighty nine game winning streak and won the uh, the Mississippi six or I guess it was a five A championship 5A, yeah. then mm-hmm. uh, uh, from uh, from that legendary team in uh, out of Batesville, so. Two guys who uh, you know maybe didn't work, weren't quite as heralded on the on the uh, on Mississippi State's roster as uh, as a few others, but uh, guys who definitely made their mark in Mississippi football history too. If it being on the high school side, or as you said, I mean, being fully supplanted in the minds of uh, maybe Mississippi State fans and re- fully blacked out of the minds of the old Miss faithful who were at that game. Remember, yeah. you know, the twenty to six lead and uh, how the game was uh, for all intents and purposes over with until. Uh, Wayne Madkin, CJ Sermones and uh and Scott Westerfield had their say towards the end and don't forget about Eugene Clinton too with the kick as well. So it, it's a sad it's really it's a really sad situation. It's yeah, horrible. Yeah,
1: and that's uh I think
2: that's too uh, young to be uh, one of those things. Too uh, young Mike Tarico
1: that. that with the call of yes. that that play, I think he endeared himself to Mississippi State fans yeah. <laughs> uh for forever. I mean, also too um Jonathan Mills uh who was um yeah, uh, I, I think a, a two or three year starter for Southern Misses basketball team. Yeah, um, was shot, and killed in broad daylight in Chicago uh, in this past week. He was playing for Chicago's uh, D League team. Um, Twenty six year old, father of two.
2: Yeah, that's, um, that's terrible. I saw, and Donnie that's his Kindle. hometown.
1: And man, I, let me tell you what, the, 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 Chicago. If you follow the the, the Sun Times uh, prep section. Uh, you would think a, a guy that kind of, I don't know, maybe you would think a, a player from Chicago that wound up at Southern Miss, maybe he flew into the radar for some reason or wasn't necessarily highly regarded coming out of high school. You should have seen them go on and on and on about this guy. I mean, he evidently was a prep legend yeah. in Chicago and had come back home and, and was trying to, you know, make his way, you know, back closer to pro ball or play overseas. He was working uh, to do that. And uh, from what I think you were about to allude to, from, from Donnie Tindall, um, all of the, the Southern Miss beat guys, um, uh, Jason Munns, Patrick McGee, Lanny Mixon from Big Gold Nation, who we've had on the show, yeah. everybody to a man, uh, just, just the he was the nicest guy, you know, the most respectful guy. Um, and just, that's, it's crazy.
2: Yeah. It's uh, that, terrible stuff for sure. I mean, I, you, know, you it's, know, it's
1: crazy how these things are piling up like you can, this. Yeah.
2: You can make no, there's no, there's no sense to be made of it. Like I said, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know any of these three guys personally. Um, I know, you know, who they are because of, you know, the job we have and the, and the, uh, the life, I guess that I led to this point knowing who CJ Simone yeah. is, but, uh, I, you know, you don't know what to say really. I mean, it's a terrible situation. You hope that some of this stuff will kind of Go away uh, and stop, but um, I mean, S- S- it's uh, not Simone.
1: The, uh, Simone's a little that I mean, I guess his time in Mississippi kind of ended like 15 years ago. Yeah. so it's a it's a little bit further in the past. Um, I guess when he was 36. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the case of of Mills and Smith, Smith, as Smith you mentioned, just
2: graduated uh, a Meridian
1: uh, high school guy. Uh, and have heard from some people uh, connected to that program in Meridian, and uh, those people are just heartbroken that it could happen. Period. But that it could happen to a guy like, you know, Chris Smith. Yeah, uh, I saw some comments uh, that one of the local stations uh, around uh, town here got from Ladarius Perkins. Uh, I think it was basically like the same week he was doing a football camp at uh, at uh, St Joe High in Greenville. Uh, And, you know, he talked about Chris Smith being one of those guys that the season can drag on. And if you're if you're one of the players proper on the roster, it's not just when the games start. It's a year round process. Oh, yeah. And it can drag on. It can get tiring. It's your job, essentially, and it you know, like with anybody who does work, yeah. sometimes your job is oh man, it's my job. You know,
2: as fun and, as it, as fun as it is when it's fun, it's as <laughs> right. When it's, sometimes, you know, bad.
1: especially when you're doing the the conditioning work and the the weightlifting and then the off the non- the, yeah. the off-season stuff. Oh look, man, it can be mundane, man. And and he said Chris Smith is one of those guys that would just pick them up all the time, and he's always positive, always saying. You know, good stuff, uplifting, uplifting stuff, uh, and always finding the positive. Even in times when there weren't necessarily positive things going on.
2: Yeah, people. I mean, you got to have that when you're doing uh, when you're doing team sports or when you're, I mean, just exercising. I mean, we've had Paul Acosta on this thing. I do some of those uh, workouts with him. A twelve week thing. I mean, that's twelve weeks. It's not even a whole. I mean, that's like a fourth of a year. And uh as monotonous and stuff as that gets for an hour. I mean, you know, <laughs> these guys are over here uh, all day, all night, all year, every day no breaks no anything all the scrutiny is on you know is on them 24 hours a day especially now i mean turn back to cj sermons i mean I, you know it wasn't like that back in 1999 and in 2000 guys could go you know out a little bit and then go back to doing what they do uh but uh, now nowadays you can't do it so uh you just imagine the scrutiny that gets put on those guys and to have somebody like him and and to a man everybody that i've seen that was at mississippi state then and that it's at that's at mississippi state now say that chris smith has been one of the more positive influences on the receiving core on the team uh and uh everybody uh had some nice things to say about him for sure so i mean it's a it's a horrible situation for all three of those guys and um Hopefully it's over with. Hopefully nothing else uh, happens to touch uh, really anybody, but especially folks uh, from the state of Mississippi that we uh, that we know and, and uh, remember. And you know, you just don't ever see anything like that. It's horrible. Yeah. Uh, shifting gears a little bit. Uh, opening day
1: for training camp for the Saints, the New Orleans Saints. And uh, man, oh man, Sam, uh, no, no, no contract. <laughs> extension as of yet for Drew Brees, and he has put a deadline on a, the the beginning of the season. And um,
2: I don't think he's getting it. Well, I, I'm just going to say it. Right before is, the year, I don't think he's. This is get a it.
1: this is a difficult place for the Saints to be in because um, I mean, at some point here, they're going to have to do a, a total reboot. And um, I I almost think that not having done a reboot already. That they've, I don't, they've they've tried to linger in this group a little bit that has, uh, you know, that was so successful, you know, at the at the start of I don't know maybe the past, you know, over the past ten years.
2: Oh yeah, two thousand six.
1: Uh, they've had some things that have that have set them back, and the problem is is that, uh, you know, I don't they don't draft defensive players. They don't spend high draft picks on defensive players ever. Uh, they run through defensive coordinators uh, like Kleenexes. And um with the way that their offense works, even still, how good Drew Brees is, you know, and, and Drew's not gonna he's not gonna play forever. I mean, he's on the back end of it, right? Oh yeah. He's on the downhill sure. slope. Um it, the door the the door is closing on their opportunity um to win with this this coach and that quarterback if they can just, and and they've proven this already statistically, if you can just have a defense that finishes 24th statistically in the NFL, I mean, they're almost, with the way their offense works, they're almost guaranteed a 10 or 11 win season. If you could just finish 24th or 25th in defense and yeah. not 32nd,
2: well, that's with, a, what, with an anchor that's what a lot of state i mean a lot of saints fans blame uh breeze for is that his contract is taking up too much uh, money and they can't improve this defense with real uh players what's more exciting to you jay the fact the prospect of the new orleans saints and the uh, and their offense or the prospect of the new booth with jim henderson and deuce McAllister on the call for the that'll saints radio network
1: yeah that'll be a lot of
2: fun so we'll have to try and get uh, we'll have to try and get the deuce uh, in uh, in studio here and, uh, and, and and talk about that as he's uh, he's in and around uh, the Jackson area. Uh, Jay, we're going to toss it to break now. We have uh, of course our uh, your great conversation with uh, Bill Wahlberg. I figured we would go back and remember this uh, with the Doc and Daryl documentary on uh, ESPN. Um, Daryl at least started his career in Jackson with the uh, with the Jackson men. Well, he didn't start it here, but he he it was on the road. To him being, yeah, uh, he his
1: uh his his uh, prospect status broke out in his season with the Jackson Mets. Yeah,
2: does he? Does, is that little mark still on the tree out there that he hit the home run? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Well, I have to ask Bill Blackwell about that since uh, he's he probably parks his car in the same parking lot that Gerald Strawberry did. Basically,
1: yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, he's just uh, across the way from where he spent. And that's who's, who's coming up later on the show, Bill Blackwell, who's the executive director of the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame, who will talk with us about the, the 2016 Hall of Fame induction class. They're having their big get-together uh, this this weekend, actually at a, an event Friday night and Saturday night. And, uh, yeah, before that, uh, he was, for a long time, the ja- the uh, Jackson uh, Minor League Baseball general manager, Mets yeah. and the Generals, yeah. over there at Smithville Stadium, which is, as you alluded to, across the parking lot from where the Hall of Fame sits these days. And... Um, yeah, that, that's a that's a great question. And by the way, that that Hall of Fame class this year really, really good.
2: Oh yeah, I mean uh, one of the best coaches to ever coach in the state of Mississippi, Jackie Cheryl. Yeah, uh, two way tight end that last played and in the game that Ole Miss beat Bama at Bama until this past season. <laughs> Wesley Walls he uh, hosted the Connerly Trophy presentation the first year I worked at MPB. Patrick Willis won it, and uh, I got I got Wesley to sign a book, a uh, an old media guide my dad had from nineteen eighty eight. Wesley Walls asked me, "Where did you get this?" <laughs> so my dad keeps all this, all this stuff is, uh, in the in the office or whatever. Yeah, so, but uh, yeah,
1: those are just a couple. Some great inductees, some folks that were were dominant, um, and some and some more coaches who were really really good, including Kay James, who took Southern Miss to ten um, postseason uh, uh, NCAA. Well, not ten NCAA tournaments. I think she made the NCAA eight times uh, and one. A national championship before she got to Southern Miss and took them to two other tournaments that uh, preceded the women's NCAA basketball tournament. Uh, but uh, uh, a great uh, up-tempo game she played there. Yeah, we'll, we'll be, take a break and go we'll, going out to break here. The the audio from the play that we referenced with C.J. Sermones, and, and this is um, again if I think a lot of state fans <laughs> with this play. Um and this is what i mean this was the time man this this put this put a stamp on the egg ball man that that era, and there were great comebacks from both teams there within a six or seven year span and, oh, and they moved it back to the campuses and all this kind of stuff, and it was the first time that both programs were kind of running hot at the same time and well, the it, next
2: year was a uh, was a steamy one as well. Jay, uh, state got up sixteen nothing. I thought uh, Ole Miss was going to go down three years in a row for the first time since the forties in the Egg Bowl, and uh, and old uh, Deuce McAllister led him back. But uh, Deuce stood there and watched as uh, as this <laughs> as this happened to his Ole Miss Rebels a few years ago. For the state fans who would love to hear it, a tribute to C.J. Sirbones here first. We'll hear from Wayne Matkin discussing the play, and then of course we'll hear the call from the late Jack Crystal. It's MPB's season pass. What went through your mind when you saw C.J. Simone just standing there all by himself at the 10-yard line with about
0: 25 seconds to go in the game? Well, the biggest thing is make sure I make the make the throw. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got somebody that opened, you know, your eyes get a little bit big. The biggest thing, you want to make sure, okay, I don't want don't to wanna overthrow him, and, and I want to make sure I get, give him the opportunity to make a play. And, you know, credit to C.J. Simone, He did a great job But realizing, hey, I'm wide open. He started, thrott- he started throttling down his run. He didn't, you know, he made it more easier for me to, uh, you know, put it in a place where he can make a play. And um, he found a little gap between. And I believe what really caught the people off guard is that the play was actually a rollout to the left. You know, I had some more time and then I actually rolled to my right so that free safety was actually going to the floor whether where the play was actually going. Um, but they you know, he he didn't make that change to see CJ Smones from right past him. And uh, fortunately I turned around and looked and rolled over and threw it to him and and there you have it. Again, Matt getting ready to work. Drops back to throw, fires it upfield, passes caught, and driving towards the goal line, it's scoring with CJ Simone. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
1: Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark Online and Mobile Banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details
3: at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC.
2: A six-year-old Afghan girl was caught in the crossfire between U.S.
1: and Afghan soldiers and Taliban fighters. I remember her quite vividly there on that stretcher and how tiny she looked. Air Force surgeon Chance Henderson led the medical team that worked for months to save her shattered leg. Now she's about to go home. She's very near and dear to all of our hearts. It's going to be a tough
4: day. The story later on All Things Considered from NPR News.
0: Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio.
1: Welcome back to MPB's Season Pass. I'm Jay White. Thanks for listening. This is Bill Wahlberg, the former voice of the Jackson Mets and the Jackson Generals and a Texas League Hall of Famer on MPB's Season Pass.
4: Well, I started baseball broadcasting uh, in Memphis, actually. Prior to that, I'd been working at a radio station in Miami and uh, was primarily doing sports talk show programming and wanted to get into professional baseball play-by-play play. and as things turned out there was an opportunity in Memphis with some changes that had been made so they uh, they hired me to go there and and that's where I really started doing uh, baseball broadcasting you know prior to that I had done high school football and basketball and college football and basketball but that was the first uh, time that I broadcasted I was there 3 years and in Memphis, Jay, and it was ironic because I actually broadcast three different professional sports there. And wow. in that less than three-year span, either the league folded or the franchise <laughs> folded in uh, the ABA, Minor League Baseball, and the World Football League. Wow. Wow. And I came to Jackson uh, at the time the Mets owned and operated the franchise here, and I think the general manager here had heard about me from someone that he knew, a friend of his in that the league, which was the International League, uh, when I was doing games in Memphis, and he had heard what happened there and contacted me, and and we came down here. Little did we know that we would spend so much of our lives here, and. That was in 1977, so that's when I first started broadcasting, uh, working for the New York Mets, doing the Jackson Mets games.
1: So when you were in Memphis, you were doing uh, Memphis uh, Chicks games?
4: Oh, actually, they were called the Memphis Blues. Okay. And that was for two years, and then uh, one season of ABA basketball, which I vividly remember doing a game against uh, Dr. J played for the opposition for the New Jersey Nets, right? and then the World Football League. And what was ironic about the World Football League was, Jay that prior to that I had lived, uh, we had lived in Miami, uh-huh. and I happened to be there and saw every game of the only team in the history of the NFL that went undefeated, the, the Miami Dolphins. And my job, for I saw the road games, but my job on the home games was I had to go to the, the visitor's locker room and interview the opposing head coach and star players. And every time I went in there, they had lost. So that was one of the toughest <laughs> assignments I ever had. I mean, if anybody that knows Dick Butkus, uh, you didn't want to really talk to him right after he lost. Right. But uh, I had to do that. And what made it ironic was that, three of the stars of that undefeated Miami Dolphins team, Larry Zonka, Jim Kick, and Paul Warfield, came to Memphis, uh, coincidentally, uh, as I did, uh, to work for John Bassett, who owned the World Football League franchise. And I knew Paul quite well from from, uh, Miami. I knew Warfield well. The other two guys I didn't really know uh, but they played uh, in the league there the year that I did their games, and the league folded before the season ended. The ABA uh, franchise folded, and uh, the franchise in Memphis uh, went out of ex- existence. So it was—I uh, guess it was the bad omen. I was the bad omen for all <laughs> for all those franchises there.
1: Well, you mentioned you did sports talk in Miami, mm-hmm. and this has got to be in the with the mid late seventies, and that is. That's prehistoric times for sports talk. What yeah, was that there, what was there it like pro- developing that? There
4: probably there probably weren't many uh many stations even major cities such as uh Miami that did it at that time and I was working on uh, as you would know maybe your listeners wouldn't uh, It was the biggest uh, 50,000 watches the biggest AM station you could have and it was one that was in Miami at the time and we well, the basic show that I did was slotted for it was 7:10 the, the the station was located at 710 Brickell Avenue. And so the show started at 710 in the evening and was slated to run till 11 o'clock every night. Now, there were some nights there where the station would carry either Baltimore Orioles baseball, because they trained at their spring training there, and I got uh. to meet a lot of those great Oriole players and, and talk to them. Or we also carried uh, some ABA games, which they had a team there called the Floridians. So if there was a game after the uh, game was over maybe at 10 i'd come back after uh, after the game and go to midnight so yeah there were uh, there weren't many stations actually it was 19 let's see when what would it have been it was in the early in the early 1970s because i went to memphis in 74 and came here to jackson in 77
1: so what was it like developing the, the sports talk for the station back then i could imagine it it's, it's, it was very different than it sounds now
4: well it was and it was it was challenging in that uh, there there wasn't much of a, an opportunity to compare with other either either local right or or national outlets. There was no, was no such thing as ESPN or Fox Sports or any of those. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we had a, a producer who would help me line up some guests for the show, and then we would do some open uh, phone lines. And we were fortunate; there was quite a bit going on there in Miami at the time, although they didn't have major league baseball and they didn't have the nba which they have now they did have the dolphins and university of miami football was in a down spiral at that time but they had uh they had other things for example i can remember uh one week uh we hosted the show from a professional bowlers tournament that was Ah. in town and i i met mickey rooney uh, when your older listeners would know he was uh, and then I did a show uh, from a, from a dog track for a week or a horse track for a week or a boat show. So a lot of it was studio oriented, but sometimes we'd go out and, and put it in the marketplace too. And there were opportunities to, to meet and talk to people from a lot of different sports who would come through in tennis and, and golf, uh, as well as, as football, for example.
1: Now, fast-forwarding back through Memphis, and then you came to Jackson and what you said, 77, to do Mets games. Correct. Uh, you, you mentioned you, you were kind of, a, jokingly, a bad open on these, <laughs> on these other teams. It Definitely now. not the case for the Jackson Mets, because you had a long run, and the Mets had a long run in terms of uh, versus what is typically a minor league run in a, in a town, and a very successful run at that.
4: Well, it was very gratifying, and uh, I have some great memories from it. When I first came here, I was working for the New York Mets, which owned the franchise, but then a a few years in, uh, Con Maloney of Cowboy Maloney's Appliances bought the franchise, and we continued to affiliate with the Mets uh, for a number of years until we then affiliated with the Astros in the later years and became called it the Jackson Generals It remained a double-A team in the Texas League. But uh, there were just so many great players who came through there that became Major League stars uh, and so many great uh, memories. And, of course, now it's been so many years removed that most of those players that I got to know very well have retired. But a lot of the guys that I got to know during that tenure during the game are Major League managers or coaches or general managers. You know, Billy Bean is a very successful general manager of the Oakland Aves, which might be the most overachieving franchise in all of sports, really, when you consider the payroll. Here they are, a first-place ball club right now. And 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 talking about Bean, one thing that I think still exists today, I know it was the only thing at the time, in 1982, we had a starting outfield in Jackson that was all number-one draft picks. And I don't think I've ever heard of that ever happening before or since, and Billy Bean was one of them. The, the best known of the three, of course, was Daryl Strawberry, and then the third one was Terry Blocker. So so many of those guys that I knew that that had played then are retired as players, but a lot of them are managing. Uh, Clint hurdles is doing a great job Brian. managing the the Pittsburgh Pirates, and Davey Johnson is managing the Washington Nationals, and Ron Gardenhire is a manager of the Minnesota Twins, and and on and on through the years. So as time has uh, gone by, the players have retired, but a lot of them are still working in baseball and managing front office or in coaching capacity.
1: It's remarkable. And, and, and through the 1980s, uh, the Mets qualified for the Texas League playoffs something like nine out of ten years in that decade. But the, the, the player development uh, from that from that era, it's a team that the, the New York Mets were so successful right. for that decade, and so many of those guys – Almost all of them were homegrown and had come through Jackson, with the rare exception of skipping over AA, like maybe a Dwight Gooden. I can't really think of any others, but uh, so many good players came through Jackson and ultimately were part of their '86 World Championship team, and it really had a connection with that town.
4: Yeah, that really was fun, and I know uh, that that year, I remember going down to Houston and. Uh, and watching them play in the playoff games. And uh, one morning was in the hotel having breakfast, and and Davey Johnson came down and got to see him again and talk with him again. And, of course, a few years prior to that, we brought the, the big club in to play the Jackson Club in an exhibition game. And I can still remember the, the cover of the program for that year, the two guys that were on there were the managers of the two clubs, where Davey Johnson was the manager of, the, of our ball club, which was the first year that Jackson won the Texas league. And then Joe Torrey uh, was the manager of the big club in New York. But you're right. And you've got a good memory too, because a good and uh, they did jump him all the way from a ball over us. And, and by the next year after pitching at Lynchburg, he was ready to pitch in the big leagues. But most of them as as you say, uh, came through Jackson and uh, were contributors, or and or regulars, or stars on the team that won the World Series. And another thing that still exists uh, that that made it kind of unique was so many of those guys met and married local girls right. from Jackson. And I just thought of another big league manager I didn't mention before, Ned Yost, right. who's managing the Kansas City Royals and they're a playoff contender. Uh, he met and married a girl locally too. So um, among the many of those who. Uh, Who met someone here and then some of the guys who didn't go on to make it in the big leagues have decided to stay and live in jackson after playing here
1: that's the voice of bill walberg texas league hall of famer 2013 and longtime voice of the jackson mets and the jackson generals when we come back we'll dig into some of the career opportunities he may have had or passed up in his 23 seasons of calling baseball in jackson and when The team decided to move to Texas under the ownership of Nolan Ryan. What led to his decision to stay home? That's Bill Wahlberg, and we'll continue our conversation with him after this timeout. You're listening to MPB's Season Pass.
0: This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
1: is MPB's Season Pass. I'm Jay White. Thanks for listening on this Thursday morning. We finish our conversation with Bill Wahlberg, the Texas League Hall of Fame broadcaster for 23 seasons of the Jackson Mets and the Jackson Generals. That's right here on MPB's Season Pass. You uh, called the uh, Mets and then the Jackson Generals games uh, through 1999. What opportunities did you have during that course, I'm sure you had opportunities to go to other places or maybe other franchises. What what, what were some of those, and what kept you uh, in Jackson?
4: Well, I think the opportunities that I had were really not maybe the ones or the one that I wanted, and quite frankly, my aspiration, Jay, was to to try to be a Major League Baseball broadcaster as opposed to going to another minor league uh, Ah. situation. And uh, quite frankly, either uh, I wasn't uh, good enough or lucky enough to be able to get the major league kind of job that i wanted although there were some that opened up and uh, maybe hundred and fifty to two hundred people applied for those jobs and i was told that i was one of the final five or ten or three but uh, never was the one who was actually offered or hired for the job so uh, i didn't want to leave to go to another minor league situation if i couldn't get to another major league club then uh... Then i was happy to stay here
1: right uh, so over over the time that you spent in Jackson, uh, some of the I guess some of the more memorable games I know you called like ten or eleven no hitters and one game that I can remember specifically the box score in the newspaper was a game that was you'll have to refresh my memory something like twenty eight innings a game in San Antonio that was played through the night and they stopped it and had to start it the next day because yeah, it was so long and scoreless on top of
4: that yeah you do you do have a good memory it it was the longest game by both innings and time in the history of the texas league which is i think 110 years old or something it went to as you say two days neither team could score <laughs> uh and this was the old san antonio ballpark where the wind just howled straight in from center field every night and uh, it was just hard to score runs there and uh, as a result neither team could score and finally they were running out of pitching and they, they woke up the league commissioner who lived in Little Rock and asked if it was all right to discontinue the game and pick it up the next day. <laughs> so we and we got very little sleep, and, and normally I would try to sleep late the next day after doing a game at night, but because of what happened in the game, I got calls from stations and the Associated Press and people that wanted to talk about this historic game. It, it was the the longest scoreless game in the history of all professional baseball major league all minor leagues it wound up going to the next day when san antonio scored in the the first inning so it was 26 innings and in 7 hours and 22 minutes of historic non-scoring baseball
1: while you were i guess in the 90s uh while you were doing a play-by-play uh you also uh dived into some sports talk while you were in Jackson, and that was uh, a groundbreaking thing in Jackson for sports talk.
4: Yeah, I guess it was. Uh, did it initially for uh, the Mississippi. Uh, they put together a network out of Telesouth Broadcasting, and I think we had maybe 11 or 12 uh, stations around the state and did that, I think, for maybe six or seven years. And it was it was challenging, in that especially during the baseball season, it was right. hard to be- pro- properly prepared for every broadcast and to do that show and plus, we had to do the show home and road, uh, and the show would go till six o'clock, and I might have to go on the air with the pregame show at six thirty or six forty five in the off season it wasn't it wasn't that much of a problem because I was working for the ball club in sales and p r and so I could uh, get ready and be prepared and go to the studio and do the show. But it was yeah, it was interesting uh, to do and to, to incorporate other stations around the state and find out uh, you know what people were interested in and what they weren't interested in and try to bring in as good a guess as we can and uh, and I guess yeah locally that probably uh, was uh, prior to any other local stations and or networks doing something of that nature. Uh, so
1: 1999. 1999- uh, the uh, I guess Nolan Ryan and a group of his people buy the Jackson mm-hmm. Generals and decide to move them to Texas mm-hmm. And uh, w- were you presented an opportunity to stay with the franchise or did you decide that you you had 20 plus years of roots in Jackson and you just wanted to stay
4: well that was a dilemma that we faced uh, they did they did talk to me and uh, ask about uh, whether I was interested in going down there with the franchise and we knew that it was going to be very successful in that market because the market was uh, the demographics were so good uh, a lot more a uh, lot more in terms of population but also in terms of economic area in that ground rock Austin area and so that was a decision that we had to kind of face and it depended i think a lot on my family situation at the time we my wife and i we had two boys who who liked it here and were going to school and playing sports. And so we had to kind of juggle that with the opportunity maybe to be a part of a very successful minor league franchise. So it wasn't so much that you know I had done enough play-by-play play or didn't want to necessarily do any more. I think it came down more to the opportunity there as opposed to whether we wanted to stay here and let the boys continue here. And so we stayed um, uh, and at that point, primarily other than continuing doing that sports talk show for another year and a half or so, uh, I really stopped doing play by play. And then my wife was working as a teacher at the St. Joseph Catholic school in Madison. And the athletic director knew about our situation through her and said, do you think that Bill would have any interest maybe in coming and helping us coach here? And she said, well, he might, you know, he's loved sports, he's played sports, he's broadcast sports, been around it all his life. And so that's really what happened. And and I think, Jay, that, uh, you know, when you talked before about possibly leaving or not leaving and opportunities or non-opportunities, I think at that point that maybe God had a plan for me, Mm -hmm. that uh, he thought maybe in my waning years that I could be of some benefit or value to helping mold young people's lives. And so in in 2000 then, I came uh, to St. Joe in Madison and have helped uh, them in coaching and teaching ever since and have found that uh, there's gratification there of a different nature, but that maybe this is really part of God's plan for me.
1: And you teach a speech class at St. Joe teach as well,
4: speech right? speech classes, yes, and through the years here I've... Uh, helped uh, coach football and also have coached baseball and well, and one year did uh, junior high girls basketball, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but mostly it's been, mostly I've helped them through the years in, in football and baseball.
1: And so this year uh, it was announced that you've been inducted along with six other people into the Texas League Hall of Fame. You're the third broadcaster. You mentioned uh, a league with more than 100 plus years of history and in a lot of uh, big towns across the Mid-South and in Texas, the Southwest, and... And you are the third broadcaster inducted into the Texas League Hall of Fame.
4: Yeah, and it was very uh, surprising when I was called this summer by the league president. Certainly, uh, I'm very appreciative and gratifying and uh, feel real good about it. But I think the main reason probably was because of longevity. Uh, I did 23 years of play-by-play in Jackson, and there, there aren't many guys who do that many years of uh, play-by-play broadcasts in one minor league city or maybe in a combined uh, number of cities. Right. So I think uh, that uh, the league president and the people who were involved in the decision probably selected me primarily because of the longevity having done games for that long.
1: Our thanks to Bill Wahlberg for joining the program. A bucket list interview for me. Growing up in South Jackson, listening to the games on 62JDX every night, uh, just a, a joy to get to catch up with Bill Wahlberg and talk to him about his career and his enshrinement in the Texas League Hall of Fame. Kids growing up in Chicago got to hear Harry Carey in St. Louis. It's Jack Buck. In L.A., it's Vin Scully. And for uh, all of those places, kids grew up listening to one voice called baseball games practically their whole life. And for me, growing up, Until I was about 20, that was uh, Bill Wahlberg. So um, my thanks to him for coming on.
2: We're here in Philadelphia for day four of the Democratic National Convention. The theme tonight, Stronger Together. Hillary Clinton will officially accept the Democratic nomination for president. I'm Rachel Martin. Join me, Judy Woodruff, and Gwen Ifill as we take you to the floor and inside the arena at the Democratic National Convention. It's special coverage
0: from PBS NewsHour and NPR News. Tonight at 7 on MPB Think Radio.
1: Welcome back. It's MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. Delighted to have in studio with us. And I said it in the beginning of the show. I said the general manager of the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. You'll have to forgive me. <laughs> the executive director of the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. Former general manager of the Jackson Mets and Generals. Bill Blackwell. How you doing, sir?
3: Doing fine. Thank it's you great for to have you in us. studio.
1: Glad to be here. Uh, so this is the week of the, the the 2016 induction class of the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame, and this year a really really great class, but. Before we get into some of the particulars, um, this is the week, if, and, and it's getting down to it now. We're on Thursday, we've got an event tomorrow, an event Saturday. If folks want to get involved, how do they do so?
3: Well, they uh, can just give a call to the uh, Hall of Fame. Our phone number is 601-982-8264, 601-982-8264. We still have tickets on sale for all of the events. Uh, We've got to uh, turn in some numbers to the uh, folks down at the uh, convention center very, very shortly. So uh, we advise you not to wait too long, but uh, we're still taking orders today. And uh, uh, we'll have a place for anyone wanting to come and uh, see the class of 2016 go into the Hall of Fame. So what What all are the
1: events that you have, the Bancorp uh, South Induction Weekend? What all goes into
3: Well, that? it starts out uh, tomorrow evening mm-hmm. at 6.30 at the Hall of Fame. Uh, we have what we refer to as our drawdown of champions. Uh, this is just basically a social gathering, a chance to meet the class of 2016. All uh, of our inductees will be there. Uh, the only formal program of the night is... Uh, Uh, introductions uh, of the uh, inductees. Uh, We'll have free food, an open bar, uh, a lot of silent auction items. Uh, We'll also have uh, a raffle item, uh, and we uh, uh, have a drawdown for $5,000 cash. Uh, And people that have a ticket, uh, there's a a chance uh, with that ticket uh, You get a a number to be drawn, and uh, you can buy additional draws at $25. And uh, it's a fundraising opportunity for the museum. You know, we just uh, uh, completed our uh, 20th anniversary of uh, opening of the building, and we've done that without governmental support for our operations. Everything that we have done to this point has been dollars raised through donations, fundraisers, uh, events that we sponsor. And, uh, so we're very proud of that fact. Yeah. And, uh, this goes, uh, towards that all of the proceeds, uh, go back into the operation of the museum. Then Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, we'll open our doors again for an autograph session. And not only this year's class will be there to sign autographs and meet the fans, but, uh, Many of the uh, previously inducted Hall of Famers come out as well. Uh, It's a chance to meet them, talk to them one-on-one, get autographs, get pictures, those kind of things. And that goes on from 10 till 11.30 on Saturday morning. And then at 5.30 in the evening, uh, we open up the doors down at the convention center. Uh, There are receptions, different areas for each one of the uh, six inductees. Uh, You can go, again, get an opportunity to meet them, shake their hands, take pictures. Uh, It's an open uh, uh, bar uh, time period from 5.30 until 7. Then at 7 o'clock, everyone goes into the uh, main dining hall, and uh, we start the ceremonies and uh, actually formally induct the uh, six members that will uh, be joining us. Sam, uh, my
1: co-host, was very excited when you said open bar. I was going to say, Bill, you had me
2: an open bar, Bill. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I do have a question for you about these inductees. Well, just, really just tell everyone about the inductees. And you got the two headliners, Jackie Sherrill, really the modern-day father of Mississippi State football. A, the Bulldogs were uh, just a shambles when he took over, and, boy, he made them believe uh, throughout the 90s, winning an SEC Western Division championship. And, of course, Wesley Walls, uh, who I think might be the last player that take, that took one of those old, like, pictures you know where he's running without a helmet on for the, uh, <laughs> the street and smith yeah, model yeah, yeah for the media guide. really the father of um the modern day tight end he really started uh what i would think would be uh, mississippi's tight end you of course rich Gibby would follow him and then uh, chris mangum rufus french doug Ziegler, and of course evan ingram Ole is old miss's tight end who's a preseason all-american
3: this year well i know chris is coming to support wesley uh this weekend and Chris gives Wesley a lot of credit for taking him under his wing when he got to Carolina into Charlotte and uh, uh, teaching him how to be a professional and uh, uh, how to play that position, even how to go through the tapes and what to look for and those kind of things. So, uh, yeah, the class is a great one, as they all are. I know uh, uh, Rick Cleveland, who was my predecessor, says that every year they ask you to compare classes, (laughs) and uh, there's really, it's almost impossible to do because uh, there's so many great athletes.
2: Especially in this state. I mean, it's impossible.
3: Well, uh, you know, the average size population for a state in the uh, United States is 20 million people. Mississippi's got 3 million people, so... The fact that we have so many world-class athletes coming from such a small possibility uh, uh, of people to, to play those games, the the small number, it's uh, amazing, the uh, people we've produced. Uh, this year's class, as you said, Jackie Sherrill, uh, one of the better and one of the more controversial Head football coaches. Uh, there, there's one steer running around that uh, uh, right. uh, used to be a bull, uh, thanks to Jackie. But, uh, you know, g- guys like that are uh, uh, few and far between. He went to high school in Biloxi, uh, was an all-American high school football player, recruited by Bear Bryant, uh, played uh, seven different positions while he was at Alabama and was part of two national championship teams there got into coaching, lasted 37 years in various uh, spots, was the head coach at Washington State, at Pittsburgh, at Texas A&M, and then uh, uh, retired, was out of the game for three years, came back and started a 13-year reign at uh, Mississippi State and brought them back uh, to respectability and uh, uh, prospered while he was there. Uh, Wesley, who we mentioned uh, originally from Pontotoc, Uh, was a high school quarterback and fullback, uh, also played on the defensive side of the ball. When he went to Ole Miss the first three years, he was basically a defensive end and a linebacker. And uh, uh, the uh, offensive coordinator at that time uh, decided that uh, he had some other skills, asked uh, Wesley if he had ever played tight end. He said the only time he ever had was at a high school all-star contest, The regular tight end that was on their team was hurt. Wesley went out and caught like five or six passes and scored a touchdown. (laughs) And uh, so they decided to uh, try him on the offensive side of the ball his senior year. uh, He made an All-American as a tight end, but he also continued to play in uh, pass rush downs uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So he was one of the last two-way players uh... in college football he is a member of the college football hall of fame and uh... uh, now he'll be a member of our hall of fame uh... we've got a second member that's also in the college football hall of fame a recent inductee sean brewer who played at Millsaps college
1: Yeah, and i know uh... sean uh... the the division three defensive player of the year the ncaa division three defensive player of the year is named in sean's honor talking to Rick about him uh, yesterday he mentioned uh you know Brewer would have been a division one all-american except for he was 510 and that scared everybody off of him but we got about a minute left in the show here uh bill again if folks want to get involved uh this weekend if we events tomorrow night and all through the day saturday how do they uh how do they i know you got a website you got a number you can call a lot of different ways to get involved. a lot
3: of things they can do on the website they can find out about the class the other members uh, which are willie heidelberg and kay james and larry smith uh and uh, Or they can call the office at 601-982-8264. Bill Blackwell, the executive director of the Mississippi Sports
1: Hall of Fame. And I'll just call you the general manager anyway. That's thank, fine. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> That'll do it for us. Our thanks to uh, Bill Blackwell and uh, Bill Wahlberg for being on the program. It's a Smith Wills double dip for the show today beautiful uh, day for a ball game that's yeah. right that'll do it for us coming up next the remedy kids and teens with dr jimmy stewart for sam i'm jay we'll be back next thursday at 10 for mpb season pass on think radio